1: This episode is brought to you by the In Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between.
2: Join us as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy filled marriage and family.
1: For more information, go to inbetween.org. That's imbetween.org.
2: Hey, everybody, cold open here. Uh, I want to let you know that we want you to join us for a live stream event December 16th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. This is December 16th, 2019. So for you guys listening to this in the future, I'm sure there's an archive of it somewhere around. This will be on Facebook. So if you aren't following us on the Facebook page, go ahead and follow us there. You should get a notification when we go live again. This is December 16th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Just a a fun time to kind of see behind the scenes of how this show is... Uh, Recorded the interaction between Troy and I. Uh, we're going to be chatting a bit with you guys, taking questions, discussing things. So we'd love for you to come be a part of the conversation. I'm sure we will probably be embarrassed at times at how many times <laughs> we have to re-record a segment because uh, editing makes it seem perfect, but sometimes, sometimes it takes a few takes to, to to nail it. So just search for Revive Thoughts on Facebook.com and follow that page, and tune in at 8 p.m. on Monday, December sixteenth.
3: This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts.
4: If you are risen with Christ, set your affections on things above and not on things below. When you come together, talk of what your father promised you.
2: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon was preached by John Bunyan. We don't really know what he called the sermon when it was preached, but uh, it's published as John Bunyan's last sermon. It was preached in 1688, 12 days before his death. Joel, our speaker this week, John Bunyan, is famous for, for mostly
3: one thing, which is his book, Pilgrim's Progress. I have read Pilgrim's Progress. It's this incredible story of this man named christian and he's going through life's challenges and he meets all these different things but all of it is just an allegory it's telling your spiritual journey and the times you'll deal with despair and hopelessness and you know deception it's a really great and very short book and that's what he's famous for and, and if for good reason. It is actually one of the most published books of all time. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the speaker we've had on the show before, uh, said that he's read Pilgrim's Progress over a hundred times. It's the only book other than the Bible he would recommend people read more than anything. But we often forget who he was as a person, John Bunyan. We forget that he was a preacher and he was actually a semi-famous preacher before he was ever an author of any books. And he was also at one point in his life a soldier, and he was a prisoner for Christ.
2: Troy, John Bunyan was born in 1628 in England, and... I feel like there's two things you kind of got to know about his upbringing. John Bunyan was not raised in a Christian home at all. In fact, quite the opposite. He had a, a very filthy mouth growing up as a child. Uh, he never went to church. Sundays were his days for sports and dancing with girls. And, uh, you know, the few times that he did attend church, he said that it, it he, he didn't feel anything from it. Um, the second thing to know about him is that his family was very poor. He came from a very poor household. When his father died, he was given a single shilling and his dad's blacksmith anvil.
3: Now, when he is 16, uh, his mother and his sister die. And pretty much right after that, uh, which about that alone would be a pretty heartbreaking thing, but pretty much right after that, he enlists in the army to fight in the English Civil War and enlist or gets drawn up. It's not really clear. And the English Civil War is a subject that requires a lot of study to explain it, and Joel and I are actually working on cooking up an episode where we do that for you sometime, but for right now, let's just say he fought on the parliamentary side, the side of Oliver Cromwell, and he was in the service for about three years. This wasn't a good point in his spiritual life at all. We already talked about the fact that he doesn't feel anything at church. And he confesses in his autobiography that he pretty much did every vice a youth could think of. And as a soldier, all the vices that a soldier is a part of, too. And that of his friends, he was the ringleader of sin. Like, he was the guy who always led the charge into doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. He uh, really wrestled with this guilt, especially during this time of his life later on.
2: It wasn't all bad, though, and it's, it's, it's really neat to see the way that the Lord uses where you're at in life and and gets through to you in one way or another there was this moment during uh this siege that they were sieging a city again imagine you know 1600s siege outside of a city and he was as he was assigned to stand guard at at this specific post but uh, a fellow soldier asked him if he could take that post instead and that night the the man who was standing in his place was shot in the head and killed and Bunyan said from that moment, he, he, he believed that God had spared his life for some type of reason.
3: So when his company disbands after a couple of years of service, he goes out and he gets married. Again, Bunyan was a poor man. I don't think we emphasize just how he was never expected to be anything great or anything important in life at all. And so during this time, his wife's name, his first wife's name, didn't even get recorded into history. We don't know... Who she was, uh, we know that they ended up having four children together. But what changed everything for Bunyan was when they got married. His uh, the the father of the wife gave them a dowry, and that dowry what the man was again poor he didn't have any money but he did have these two christian puritan books and says so like, i can't give you money but here are these two books and bunyan did know how to read he picked them up and he read them and he was fascinated with them he just couldn't stop he had to keep reading them over and over because there was something about them that was different than his life
2: yeah so it's around this time that we see bunyan starting to have these kind of big spiritual moments there's one moment that he recalls where he's playing sports outside on a Sunday like he like he does like he likes to do and uh, he felt this voice inside him and by by his own account the voice said would you like to keep playing games and go to hell or give them up and go to heaven and like th- this shook him this shook him to the court It startled him and he started going to church and uh he you know the people he would meet at church he could see their lives full of jesus and and it meant something to him he recalls hearing some women talking about their spiritual lives and the lord used it and and convicted him, and he felt deeply convicted that his life didn't look like that his life wasn't that of of a true believer and so he started reading tons of books. He read a lot of Martin Luther's commentaries. On on Galatians in particular is one that he reportedly liked. He wrestles with his faith for a long time.
3: He really struggled with the idea that he was saved and his sins were not too awful to be forgiven. And I think many of us have gone through this or spent periods of time where we just feel like we're not worth redemption. The sins, the things we have done can't be forgiven. We aren't good enough or God doesn't really love us enough. And he really went through this a lot and it it somewhat makes sense he he's a very poor guy from a very poor family who he spent every sunday playing games he was sinning he had nothing to do with god for years a soldier who did you know some terrible things and and now he's coming to god but he you know he doesn't feel like he can do it. Uh, but after some time following the faith, he gets into good relationships. There's especially one pastor who kind of counsels him through some some things. And once he starts to feel sure of his faith, he suddenly has to tell others about it. He He realizes, I'm justified by faith alone, and suddenly he has this desire to tell everyone about Christ and what Christ has done. So he started to do field preaching, which field preaching is exactly what it sounds like. He would go to a field and preach to whoever showed up, basically, and his preaching would become famous. He started doing this around 1660, and within a year, he had these pretty big crowds showing up to hear him. He would usually preach around noon, and the crowds would say they would show up at dawn to make sure they got a good seat for a preaching, you know, six hours later, basically now this field preaching which it becomes part of what makes him famous is also what will lead to him going to prison but before we get to that we're going to take a quick little break
2: so the problem was that in 1660 field preaching was made illegal the people feared that it would lead to inciting a revolution so despite being warned Bunyan was arrested and put in jail for three months. And jails back then were awful. Uh, They're dark, Uh, there was nowhere to bathe or to shower, and people were constantly sick and dying of what they called prison typhus. Uh, I mean, just, can you imagine being in a small, confined, dark area with people that haven't bathed in months, um, that are sick and vomiting, and uh, it's dark and it, it sounds it sounds awful. No, thank you.
3: Now, after three months, the judge says, OK, you can go free if you stop preaching. And Bunyan responded, uh, I'm afraid if you let me out, I just be back in jail tomorrow for preaching. So I'm not going to get out. He would stay in jail for 12 years, and throughout that entire time he's in jail, he's getting offers, just come out, just admit you did something wrong, just come out, you can, you know, whatever. And the whole time he basically says, no, like, I did nothing wrong to feel preach in the name of Christ i am not going to do that he had he has a second wife um during this time he has kids they're all fighting for his release but he won't admit that he did anything wrong because he doesn't see that he did and he also won't leave until they let him go as an innocent man and we just said he was in jail for 12 years and i want to take a second because i read that and the first time i oh 12 years is a long time it's pretty bad but he only lives to be 60 that's about 20 percent of his life but take a minute to just imagine what were you like 12 years ago? And then just imagine that every year since then, you've been in jail in a dark room with people who don't bathe, who are sick all the time, you don't see sunlight, and that's where you've been for 12. You're getting about a loaf of, like a little, little couple pieces of bread every day, and that's all you got. You're missing weddings, you're missing funerals, important family members die, he wasn't there, birthdays for kids, you're not there. All that time, you're in jail for preaching the name of Christ. And all you had to do was say, I'm sorry, you're right. And yo, you're staying there. Why? Because you're preaching the name of Christ and you're not going to admit you were guilty about that. It's an incredible thing. That alone just really impressed on me. This guy had some, remember that this guy early on wrestling constantly, does God love me? I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know if I'm good enough. And now here he is, he's going, I'm not going to let out because I preached the name of Christ. I'm not going anywhere. Incredible story. And this, during this time in prison, this is when he writes most of his books, including Pilgrim's Progress. And although he wrote that book um, and it became immediately popular once it was published, it, it, after his time in jail, he did not become rich from it. His book would uh, make his publishers rich. It would become one of the most published books besides the Bible of all time, but he didn't really make a lot of money. And after his time in jail, he would become a full-time preacher one day he's riding through a thunderstorm trying to get to a house um he kind of catches sickness and uh, he dies you know about a week later in 1688 And this sermon that we're going to be listening to is the last one that he ever preached. And he just talks about how Christians can tell whether or not they are saved. And as a man who just wrestled with this a ton, and this was something that was really a part of his life, and then he just becomes this steadfast guy who can't be shaken, I think he's kind of the perfect person to tell us about this.
4: John chapter 1, verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. These words have a dependence on what goes before, and so I must direct you to them for the right understanding of it. You have heard it, he came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. In the words before, you have two things. First, some of his own rejecting him when he offered himself to them. Secondly, others of his own receiving him and making him welcome. Those that reject him, he also passes by, but those that receive him, he gives them power to become the sons of God. Now, unless anyone should look upon it as good luck or fortune, says he, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They that did not receive him, they were only born of flesh and blood, but those that receive him, They have God to their Father. They receive the doctrine of Christ with a passionate desire. First, I will show you what he means by blood. They that believe are born to it as an heir is to an inheritance. They are born of God, not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not of blood, that is, not by generation. Not born to the kingdom of heaven by the flesh. Not because I am the son of a godly man or woman. That is meant by blood. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. He has made of one blood all nations. But when he says here, not of blood, he rejects all carnal privileges they did boast of. They boasted they were Abraham's seed. No, no, says he. It is not of blood. Think not to say you have Abraham to your father. You must be born of God if you go to the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, or of the will of flesh. What must we understand by that? It is taken for those passionate inclinations that are in man to all manner of looseness, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That must not be understood here. Men are not made the children of God by fulfilling their lustful desires. It must be understood here in the best sense. There is not only in carnal men a will to be vile, But there is in them a will to be saved also, a will to go to heaven also. But this it will not do. It will not privilege a man in the things of the kingdom of God. Natural desires after the things of another world, they are not an argument to prove a man shall go to heaven whenever he dies. I am not a a free willer. I do reject it. But not even the wickedest man doesn't at some point or another desire to be saved. He will read a bit of the Bible at some time or other, or it may be, pray, but this will not do. It is not in him that wills, nor in him that runs, but in God that shows mercy. There is willing and running, and yet to no purpose. Romans 9.16, Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not obtained it. I do not understand as if the Apostle had denied a virtuous course of life to be the way to heaven, but that a man without grace, though he has natural gifts, yet he will not obtain privilege to go to heaven and be the Son of God. Though a man without grace may have a will to be saved, yet he cannot have that will God's way. Nature It cannot know anything but the things of nature. The things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God, unless the Spirit of God be in you. It will leave you on this side the gates of heaven, not of blood or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It may be some may have a will, a desire, that Ishmael may be saved. Know this, it will not save your child. If it were our will I would have you all go to heaven How many are there in the world that pray for their children and cry for them and ready to die and this will not do God's will is the rule of all It is only through Jesus Christ which were born not of flesh nor of the will of man but of God Now I come to the doctrine Men that believe in jesus christ to the effectual receiving of jesus christ they are born to it he does not say they shall be born to it but they are born to it born of god to god and the things of god before they receive god to eternal salvation except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god now unless he is born of god he cannot see it suppose the kingdom of god is what it will He cannot see it before he is begotten of God. Suppose it is the gospel. He cannot see it before he is brought into a state of regeneration. Believing is the consequence of the new birth, not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. First, I will give you a clear description of it under one similitude or two. A child before it is born into the world, is in the dark dungeon of its mother's womb. So a child of God, before he is born again, is in the dark dungeon of sin. Sees nothing of the kingdom of God, therefore it is called a new birth. The same soul has love one way in its carnal condition, another way when it is born again. Secondly, as it is compared to a birth... Resembling a child in his mother's womb, so it is compared to a man being raised out of the grave. And to be born again is to be raised out of the grave of sin. Awake you that sleep and arise from the dead and Christ shall give you life. To be raised from the grave of sin is to be begotten and born. As it says in Revelation 1.5, there is a famous instance of Christ. Christ. He is the first begotten from the dead. He is the first born from the dead, from which our regeneration alludes to. That is, if you are born again by seeking those things that are above, then there is a similarity between Christ's resurrection and the new birth, which were born, which were restored out of this dark world, and translated out of the kingdom of this dark world into the kingdom of His dear Son, and made us live a new life. This is to be born again. And he that is delivered from the mother's womb, it is the help of the mother. So he that is born of God, it is by the Spirit of God. I must give you a few consequences of a new birth. First of all, a child, you know, is likely to cry out as soon as it comes into the world. For if there be no noise, they say it is dead. You that are born of God, And Christians, if you are not criers, there is no spiritual life in you. If you are born of God, you are crying ones. As soon as He has raised you out of the dark dungeon of sin, you cannot but cry to God, what must I do to be saved? As soon as ever God had touched the jailer, He cries out, men and brothers, what must I do to be saved? Oh, how many... Prayerless professors are there in London that never pray. Coffee houses will not let you pray. Trades will not let you pray. Looking glasses will not let you pray. But if you were born of God, you would. Second, it is not only natural for a child to cry, but it must crave the breast. It cannot live without the breast. Therefore, Peter makes it the true trial of a newborn babe. The newborn babe desires the sincere milk of the word that he may grow from it. If you are born of God, make it manifest by desiring the milk of God. Do you long for the milk of promises? A man lives one way when he is in the world, another way when he is brought to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 66 says, they will suck and be satisfied. If you are born again, there is no satisfaction till you get the milk of God's Word into your souls. Isaiah 66 verse 11 says to suck and be satisfied with the breasts of consolation. Oh, what a promise to a carnal man. A prostitute, it may be, is more sweet to him. But if you are born again, you cannot live without the milk of God's word. What is a woman's breast to a horse? It means nothing to the horse, but what is it to a child? There is its comfort night and day. There is its food night and day. Oh, how hateful is he if it should be taken from him. Minding heavenly things, says a carnal man, is but time wasted. But to a child of God, there is his comfort. Third, a child that is newly born, if it have not other comforts to keep it warm than it had in its mother's womb, it dies. It must have something for its warmth. So Christ had swaddling clothes prepared for him, so those that are born again, they must have some promise of Christ to keep them alive. Those that are in a carnal state, they warm themselves with other things, but those that are born again, they cannot live without some promise of Christ to keep them alive, as he did to the poor infant in Ezekiel 17. I covered you with embroidered gold. And when women are with child, what fine things will they prepare for their child? Oh, but what fine things has Christ prepared to wrap all in that are born again? Oh, what wrappings of gold has Christ prepared for all that are born again? Women will dress their children that everyone may see them, how fine they are. So he says in Ezekiel 16, 11, I clothed you also with ornaments, and I, I also put bracelets upon your hands, and a chain on your neck, and I put a jewel on your forehead, and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown upon your head. And says he in the 13th verse, you did prosper to a kingdom. This is to set out nothing in the world but the righteousness of Christ and the graces of the Spirit without which a newborn babe cannot live unless he has the golden righteousness of Christ. Fourth, A child, when it is in its mother's lap, the mother takes great delight to have that which will be for its comfort. So it is with God's children. They will be kept on His knee. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you. There is a similarity in these things that nobody knows of, but those that are born again. Fifth, there is... Usually, some similarity between the father and the child, it may be the child looks like its father, so those that are born again, they have a new, similar look. They have the image of Jesus Christ. Everyone that is born of God has something of the features of heaven upon him. Men love those children that are like them most. So does God, his children. So they are called the children of God. But others do not look like him, so they are called sodomites. Christ describes children of the devil by their features. The children of the devil, his works they will do. All works of unrighteousness, they are the devil's works. If you are earthly, you have borne the image of the earthly. If heavenly, you have borne the image of the heavenly. Sixth, when a man has a child, he trains him up to his own liking. He learns the customs of his father's house. So are those that are born of God. They have learned the custom of the true church of God. There they learn to cry, my father and my God, they are brought up in God's house. They learn the method and form of God's house for regulating their lives in this world. Seventh, children... It is natural for them to depend upon their father for what they want. If they want a pair of shoes, they go and tell him. If they want bread, they go and tell him. So should the children of God. Do you want spiritual bread? Go tell God of it. Do you want strength of grace? Ask it of God. Do you want strength against Satan's temptations? Go and tell God of it. When the devil tempts you, run home and tell your heavenly father, go pour out your complaints to God. This is natural to children. If any wrong them, they go and tell their father. So do those that are born of God. When they meet with temptations, go and tell God of them. The first use is this, to make a strict inquiry whether you are born of God or not examine by those things I laid down before of a child of nature and a child of grace. Are you brought out of the dark dungeon of this world into Christ? Have you learned to cry, my father? Jeremiah 3.16 says, and I said you will call me your father. All God's children are criers. Can you be quiet without having had a belly full of milk of God's word? Can you be satisfied without you having had peace with God? Pray you consider this and be serious with yourselves. If you do not have these marks, you will fall short of the kingdom of God. You will never have a chance there. There is no infiltrating it. They will say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will say, I know you not. no child of God, no heavenly inheritance. We sometimes give something to those that are not our children, but not our lands. Oh, do not flatter yourselves with a portion among the sons unless you live like sons. When we see a king's son play with a beggar, this is not right. So if you are the king's children... Live like the king's children. If you are risen with Christ, set your affections on things above and not on things below. When you come together, talk of what your father promised you. You should all love your father's will and be be content and pleased with the exercises you meet with in this world. If you are the children of God, live together lovingly. If the world quarrels with you, it is no matter. But it is sad if you quarrel together. If this is amongst you, it is a sign of ill-breeding. It is not according to rules you have in the Word of God. Do you see a soul that has the image of God in him? Love him. Love him. Say, this man and I must go to heaven one day. Serve one another. Do good for one another. And if any wrong you, pray to God to right you. And love the brotherhood. Lastly, if you are the children of God, learn that lesson. Gird up the loins of your mind as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former conversation, but be you holy in all manner of conversation. Consider that the holy God is your Father, and let this oblige you to live like the children of God, that you may look your Father in the face with comfort another day.
2: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Mike Clark. Mike Clark is an evangelical Christian pastor with more than 20 years of ministry experience, ranging from student ministry to worship ministry, evangelism training, and preaching. He's currently the worship pastor at the Way Church in Denver, Colorado, where he has served faithfully since July 2014. Please visit our website at revivedthoughts.com. There you can find the transcript for this episode and all of our episodes.
3: You can also share us and tell others about this episode and all the episodes and things that are happening at Revive Thoughts. And this is a really interesting time for Joel and I. We can't really go into all the details, but we have a lot of really cool stuff happening with the show. We have a lot of good stuff coming down that will be, I think, really great. You will enjoy it. You will definitely want to be a part of it. Stuff coming for our Patreon supporters and just stuff coming that's going to be really good. Really the heart of what Revive Thoughts is trying to do will get easier and hopefully better here soon. So 2020 is going to be very exciting and this is a really good time. If you would like to support us on Patreon, um, we have a couple different tiers you can join in and send a few dollars our way. We're trying to get uh, future audio equipment and be able to do more for the show, be able to get more consistent speakers. So all of these things would help us with that. And if you would like to tell a friend, maybe text them this episode or share it on social media or just let them know. Or if you would like to give us five stars on iTunes, that'll a whole lot too. And Christmas is coming up. If you want to check out our shirts and our brand new Revive Thoughts coffee cup, that is a great present. Nobody will uh, be sad. And maybe you don't, and you're like me, I never know what to ask for Christmas. So maybe you just say, hey, you know what? Get me that Revive Thoughts shirt or Revive Thoughts coffee cup. That's, that's what I want for Christmas. Thank you so much for listening. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.
1: This episode is brought to you by the In Between podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith and everything in between.
2: On the In Between podcast, you will hear how to raise children that change the world,
1: ideas to keep the romance alive with your spouse,
2: how to not hate your in-laws,
1: ways to save money for your next vacation,
2: and how to use the Enneagram in your relationships.
1: Join us, Daniel
2: and Christina M,
1: as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected and joy-filled marriage and family.